Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good, good, good. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find a lot of satisfaction uh, whenever a tool works the way that it's supposed to work. And for me, really, that's about uh, two things. It's about function and aesthetic. More than anything else, I'm asking, does this meet the eye test? But more importantly, does it do what it was created to do? Because there's nothing more frustrating to me on this planet, Isaac, than a can opener that cannot open any kind of can, right? And so I, I, I went on the internet. I looked up some stuff I thought you might find interesting uh, this morning. I, I looked up some of the most useless inventions ever created and these were three of my favorites, so I wanted to share them with you. Uh, number one is the remote headband. <laughs> it's, uh, it was designed to help you from losing your remote. Instead, it helps you lose all of your cool points if you get this. So uh, the remote headband, we can look at this, though, and, and, and go, hey, that, that's useless, right? It's useless. Uh, the second one uh, was the shoe umbrella. The shoe umbrella, why, why get a, a whole umbrella that can cover your whole body from the rain when you can get one just for your shoes, right? Like this is, this is useless. And then number three is one of my favorites. Uh, it was the, uh, the goldfish walker. Um, the goldfish walker. It's over here on the side. Yeah, that's, that's for later. I, I get jumped down for some reason. But the goldfish walker, this is, uh, this is meant to help your goldfish uh, stretch its legs, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but all three of these inventions, like we can look at those and pretty easily go, hey, those are useless. And it's why for me, whenever I order something off of Amazon, I always scroll down and I read the reviews. Right? Does anyone else do that? Right? Because you want to know. You want to know about this product. You want to know the quality. And if it, if it does, what it says it can do, if it's actually useful or if it's really just useless. And um, also, if you're looking for Father's Day gifts, you're welcome, by the way, for those examples. Um, Shoe umbrella would look really nice on dad. But today, the main question that the Apostle Paul is going to answer for Timothy, and so by extension to you and to me also, is this. How can we be useful or effective for the kingdom of God? How can we be useful for the kingdom of God? And, and maybe you found yourself at some time or another going, man, like, like is, is what I'm doing, is it, is it even working? Or, or, or where do I start? Or, or where should I go? And, and, and so the beautiful thing for us 
today is that being useful in the kingdom of God isn't solely about skill, but it's about being open to the word of God and also being willing to be used by him. So what Paul's going to do in his kind of product review of usefulness for us, um, is he's going to tell us, hey, we're going to have to, we're going to have to flee some things and we're going to have to pursue some other things. That's what today is. Flee and pursue. It's week eight of our study in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 20 through 26. And as you're flipping there in your Bible, there's some in front of you or you can use your phone if you want. Um, but as you're turning there, I'll just kind of bring you up to where we were last week. Last week, Pastor Cody talked about the good workmen and the, the bad workmen. And it was the first of three uh, metaphors that Paul was using to talk about what a useful teacher, preacher, leader looks like, what a faithful teacher looks like. He reminded us that word work is hard work. And whenever you work um, in the word of God, that it's going to cause some spiritual sweat uh, to unfold God's truths before others. And so we'll jump right into this, 2 Timothy, starting in verse 20 through 26. Do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Amen. This is what it says. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Church, my main question for you this morning is, do you want to be useful for the kingdom of God? Do you want to be useful for the kingdom of God? So I'll pray, and then we'll walk through these verses together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for uh, men and women like Paul, who trained in and invested in uh, men like Timothy, and so we pray for, uh, this morning, every, every pastor here, we pray for every deacon and every uh, family partner, every leader, every person who calls Rest Church their home. Uh, Lord, that you would, you would spur us on to good works, to be prepared and ready for the work you have ahead of us. Because, God, deep, in, deep inside of my heart, I, I know I, I don't want to uh, just waste my time on this planet. We don't want to waste our time on this planet, Jesus. We don't want to uh, be dead weight or, or a wasted gift. And so... Help show us how we can be useful uh, to your kingdom this morning, God. And, and I pray that you, God, the Holy Spirit, would teach us and, and reveal to us uh, how we're far away from you today so that we might look more like you walking out of here, God, than we did when we walked in. So we ask all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Do you want to be useful for the kingdom of God? If so, I've got three buckets for us to carry this morning. When I first walked through this text, I had 33 buckets, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't balance them all myself, and so I broke them down into three buckets for you to carry, and I'll just uh, I'll forewarn you, there's three points, but point number one is by far the longest of the three, and, and so it's got some sub points to it. Two and three are much, much shorter, but if we get to, uh, you know, one C and you're counting four, uh, you know where you've messed up at, 
and you probably went to public school. So just uh, that's how you're going to be able to follow with me this morning. We're going to have three points, uh, three subpoints under number one. And so point number one is this. If you desire to be useful to God in ministry, the first thing that you have to learn to do is to look in, to look in. And now when I say this, I'm not saying this is Savior complex. I'm not saying this is a, a self-actualization or, or self-help or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that if you want to be useful to God in ministry, it really starts with the man, uh, the woman in the mirror that you looked at this morning whenever you were brushing your teeth and they were smiling back at you. It starts right inside of you. And so the example Paul uses for looking in, uh, he's going to use, it's this parabolic look in at this great house. This great house. And so that's where we'll start, verse 20. He says this, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Now, now this verse here, verse 20 um, I, I need you to remember that this is a parable, okay? This is a parable from Paul, and so I don't want us to get too uh, caught up on the details. We don't need to overanalyze what he's saying because he actually goes on in verse 21 to tell us what this parable means, and so I don't want you to get hung up on that. The scriptures are really simple to understand sometimes, amen? Amen? And, and they're also unfathomable at the same time, amen? And so let's not overcomplicate this uh, th- th- this morning, but let me break down what Paul's talking about. He's saying in the typical home, in your house, in, in our house, there are, there, there are probably two basic types of vessels that you could find inside of Two basic types of utensils, of, of kitchenware, of vessels. And so, for example, uh, on one side uh, in your house particularly, you probably have some sort of special uh, kitchenware, like some fine china or a special cup that's really important to you that you give special care to. At my mama's house growing up, I remember that, that she had these really special plates and special silverware that she would break out for us whenever we would come over for special occasions like on Thanksgiving or like at Christmas. We wouldn't eat on them any other time of the year, but at those particular occasions, she would bring out the good stuff, those kind of vessels. Did anybody else's family do that? A few of us? Okay. Um, so that would be an, an honorable example. You've got some tools, some utensils that are used for honor, but also in your home, it's, it's, it's highly likely that you had or have at some point those red Solo cups, right? You, you have those, uh, those pop-top Rubbermaid containers that are made out of uh, some sort of rhinoceros skin or something because they can, they can take a ding, right? Now, now, you probably don't store those in the same place that you do with the fine china. You certainly don't treat them the same way you do as the fine china. In my other grandmother's house growing up, my mamaw's house, uh, she, she would have those uh, country crock butter containers that are brown. Do you remember those? Anybody seen those before? Okay. And so what she would do is like she would, after the butter was gone out of those, she would put all kinds of different foods in there. And so when you opened up the fridge, it was like food roulette because you, you never knew what you were going to pull out from those containers. It could, be, it could be butter. It could be corn or green beans. It could be dog food. Like you, you just didn't, you didn't know what you were going to pull out from that, that container. And so um, this same phenomenon happened in Timothy and, and Paul's culture where they had honorable vessels made of gold and silver that in their homes that they would bring out for special occasions, special feasts and festivals. And then they also had um, some, some vessels, some utensils that were made of clay and, and wood and, and would use for all sorts of, 
uh, of activities in their home. And, and so these were really common to find. In fact, uh, some of the utensils of clay and wood that they would use uh, were used actually for bathroom, um, to, bathroom stuff to, to get rid of their waste. And I was, saying, I was thinking, like, just imagine pulling that country crock container out of the fridge, right? Like, um, and, and so, like, these were common. They had uncommon and common. They had uh, honorable and, and dishonorable vessels. And so this is a pretty, pretty straightforward illustration from Paul, right? He's got this great house, which represents the, the larger Christian community as a whole. Specifically here, it's the local church at Ephesus. For us, it's Rest Church. Um, and, and I think Paul goes on this route of, of playing off this house language because from last week in verse 19, uh, where he was talking about that foundation statement. So that's the house. Then Paul says, hey, in this house there are vessels, um, utensils, tools, which represent uh, the would-be preachers and teachers and leaders within the church. And so remember Pastor Cody last week, he said, if you, if you have influence over anybody around you, that makes you a leader. And so this is, this is something for each one of us this morning. And then there's also, from verse 21, which we'll get to in a minute, there's the master of the house. Who's the, who's the master of the house church? Who's the owner of, of Rest Church in every Christian church? Jesus, right? Jesus. He's the head elder, the chief shepherd, the senior pastor over every Christian church. This church isn't my church, Cody Church, John's church, Johan's church, your church. This is Jesus' church. He's the master of the house. Are you still with me? Okay, so if, if, if the goal of the house is for all of us on, to become honorable vessels, an honorable teacher that's useful to the master, how do we actually accomplish that? How do we become honorable vessels as the church? That's the big question for us. And so the first thing we got to do that's going to help us determine what kind of dishonorable things are in our life is we have to look in. And Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 21, he says, If anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, is holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Remember dishonorable, it was the clay things, it was the wood utensils, those are, those are things that can be burned up by fire, you know, they're, they're things that, that, that can, can break down easily, sometimes they are even broken, it's common, they don't last, you know, that this would be the, the, the false teachers in Ephesus, this would be um, the unfaithful believers there, it was common uh, to find those within the church. And then the, the honorable, on the other hand, it was the gold, right? It was the silver. It was something that can take a ding. It, it, it's something that can endure. It's going to last. It's built to last. And, and so this is those who rightly handle the word of the truth, who unfold it carefully. And, and these vessels, Paul says, they're less common. They're uncommon um, to find within the overall church. And, and so I don't know what picture pops into your mind for dishonorable and honorable, but for me, when I think of dishonorable, you've already seen it this morning, but I think of Forky. Can you pull Forky up for me? Yeah, I think of Forky from Toy Story. Uh, when I think of a, a dishonorable vessel, if you don't know in the storyline of the, the Toy Story universe, Forky, uh, he's this uh, plastic spork that's been built by Woody and Bonnie, and, and so they scavenged a trash can, and they pulled out some you know, some red pipe cleaners and some googly eyes and some popsicle stick feet and kind of put him together. And as you watch this, the, the movie with him, you see that he's kind of naive. He's kind of dim-witted. Um, 
the, in the text, dishonorable could be synonymous with the word common. So Forky, he's a common spork. He's really not that valuable. And he wrestles with this uh, existential crisis of, you know, uh, his purpose in this, this life. But he can easily be replaced, right? Because hey, really, he doesn't really contribute much to the story. So he can be replaced. And then when, I, when, my, when my mind thinks of an honorable vessel, uh, the first thing that popped up for me was uh, Lumiere. Lumiere. It was a tale as old as time, right? I think of this, uh, this charismatic candelabra when I think of an honorable vessel. And there he is with his buddy Cogsworth the clock. And, and in the story, in the plot line of, of, of Beauty and the Beast, Lumiere, what he does is he kind of does some, some uncommon things as he welcomes Belle into the Beast's castle. And, and he does some uncommon tasks to help the two uh, fall in love. And, and I like Lumiere a lot, not just because he's a, a, a candelabra, but with a candelabra, by the way, is a candle holder with multiple arms. But to bring, I thought about this, and, and to bring this back to the scriptures, um, in, in Judaism, before the Star of David was used to represent God's people Israel, um, it was the candelabra, the menorah that was used as a picture to, to represent Israel, the, the people of God. And as you look in the scriptures, this actually was God's idea from Exodus 25, where he gives out these really detailed and specific instructions to Moses on how to construct the temple menorah, the temple candelabra. And so just really quick, that is this. God said, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. So the, the candelabra, the temple menorah, it was, it was made of one piece of solid gold. And it had seven uh, stands on it in, in the temple. And, and it was uh, decorated. It was adorned with decoration. It was carefully crafted. It was uniquely designed. Uh, someone had to put their hands on, onto it to, to, to mold it into the proper shape. And, and if you want to dive deeper on that, I encourage you to. It's such a cool study to do on the temple uh, menorah and the temple itself and God's specifications for the temple and the temple menorah. And as you dive into that, what you'll see is that it was a foreshadowing, a picture of Jesus, the light of the world who was to come. I'm a nerd, I know, but it's really cool if you want to, if you want to look at that later for yourself. But here it is. Pull up again that picture of uh, Forky and, and Lumiere, if you can, side by side. Yeah. Um, so you've got... You've got the dishonorable and the honorable teachers, leaders, preachers in the church at, at Ephesus. Some are made for common purposes by God. Some are made for uncommon purposes, all from God's sovereign choice. It's not about any merit from any of us and God's choosing of that. But here, specifically in this text as we read it, the opportunity to be used or not be used, to be useful before God or useless to him is based on our actions. So we can be all be used by God, but really to an extent, it, it's in our court. The ball's in our court. It's up to us. And so if you want to be more like Lumiere and, and less like Forky this morning before God, useful to him in ministry, as you look within your own heart, the main command from, from verse 21 is this, to clean yourself up from things that are dishonorable. 
right? It's the same reason you don't dive into your dishwasher and pull out a dirty spork, uh, an already been chewed on spork, to eat supper with, right? You need something that's clean to, to, to work with. And so this clean yourself, as you look at the text, it's sandwiched between verse 19 where it says, turn away from righteousness, and verse 22's flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So what we know about this here is that this isn't just about having a pure or clean teaching, but this is about personal holiness. This is about your whole life to have a pure life. And, and, and like, like we could sit up here and list, right, category after category of, of dishonor. There can be different dirty bowls um, for each one of us in the room because an area of dishonor I struggle with might not be the same area of dishonor that you struggle with necessarily. But the main command from Paul, whatever it is, it's not to, to, uh, to treat yourself, right? It's to clean yourself, right? That's what he Tell your neighbor real quick. Say, clean yourself. Right? That helps you remember it. He says, clean yourself. If you want to be used by God, useful to God in ministry, the first thing you do as you look in is you need to clean yourself. Because, because this is what sets you apart as holy and makes you useful to the master. And as the text said, it, it prepares you for every good work that might, might come your way. And that's so cool because that's really an act of grace that the Holy Spirit does inside of you. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But this is God who does this work in our hearts. And it's God who gives us this power to continually change, moving in the direction of Jesus, where when we look in that heart mirror, we should just start to see more and more of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, do you, do you look more like Forky or, or Lumiere this morning? We take this look in to be clean, ready for every good work. And Paul, what's cool is he doesn't leave us hanging on the how. He doesn't leave us hanging on the how, but instead he's going to give us three things to, to look at from this point one this morning, and it's, it's this. Um, three things we're going to do. We're going to flee, we're going to pursue, and we're going to avoid. So as we look in, we're going to flee, we're going to pursue, and we're going to avoid. If you want to be an honorable vessel, an honorable tool that's useful to the master of the house, you've got to flee and avoid some stuff, and you have to pursue some other stuff. Verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to clean up today, you're going to have to flee some things and pursue some other things. You're going to have to flee and you're going to have to pursue. And I thought um, it would be good for us to have a visual demonstration of this really quickly. So Isaac, come up here for a second. And uh, Michael Engel and Connor, are you in, in here? Yeah, come on over here for a second, buddy. Um, the, the, let's give it up for our, our guys that are helping us this morning. See this. Uh, you can come up here with me for just a second. Um, let's see. Uh, so, so Connor, Connor's going to uh, uh, represent, here, stand up here so you can see in line. Connor's going to represent, you're going to be our honorable vessel this morning, okay? And so what you're going to have to do to be honorable before the Lord Jesus is you're going to have to pursue some things and, and you're going to have to uh, flee some other things. So we got flee on his back and, and, and pursue on the front and, and, and Michael, we'll let you be, um, yeah, We'll let you be uh, righteousness, the righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's what, that's what, um, that's what he's pursuing this morning. 
uh, our honorable vessel. He's pursuing righteousness and faith and peace and love. It's the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. And then Isaac, uh, since you're the youth pastor, you know all about this one, man. Um, youthful passions, right? You deal with a lot of youthful passions in student ministry, right? So he knows all about this. So, so you're going you're gonna to chase after our honorable vessel here. Um, as he tries to chase after the, the, the love, faith, and righteousness uh, around him. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a head start. And you, can choose to let the, <laughs> you can choose to let this vessel uh, catch you or not. It's really up to you. But I'll give you a little bit of a head start, and I'll give you a little more. And then you're going to chase after him. So whenever I say go, you just go ahead and go, and I'll send you one at a time. But church, we're going to help them. Okay, you're not disconnected from this. We'll make this side of the room uh, flee, and we'll make this side of the room pursue. Okay, so let, let, help me out for just a second. When I point to you, you're flee, you're pursue. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, now I've seen some of you at basketball games before. Okay, let's try this a little bit. This is the, the, to the glory of God. Okay, let's try this again. Ready, one, two, three. Flee like you mean it. One, two, three. There we go. One, two, three. I think we're ready. Now go, you go ahead and go, Michael. And, and you, can you cue that up for me? Let's give it up for our honorable, useful vessels this morning. You guys can go sit down. You get to keep that. Um, well, welcome to rest. Uh, I'm going to have to, Cody, I'm going to have to cut that music out, though, um, from the podcast after the fact, because they'll flag it, you know. But you, if you were here, you know how epic that was, okay? Just how awesome that was. So, church, if you want to be an honorable vessel that's set apart, useful to the master, prepare for every good work as you clean yourself. The, the, the first way you're going to do this, the text tells us, is to flee. We have to flee from our youthful passions. Verse 22, flee from our youthful passions. And, and whenever you read that there, uh, youthful passions, that includes, you know, those illicit sexual desires that we may have. Sure, definitely, it includes that. But the language of, uh, of passions in the Greek here, it's a strong heart desire that motivates behavior. A strong heart desire that motivates behavior. That's your passion. And we're all passionate about something. And what Paul is telling Timothy is he's saying, hey, at a heart level, your desires they matter. They matter. They're never neutral. Whenever you look in at your own desires, they do one of two things. You either desire to please and serve the Lord Jesus, or you desire to please and, and serve yourself. Desire in this context, it's the motivator behind our sin. And James chapter 1 speaks of this. We've read this a couple times, but I'll read it again. Verse 15, it says, whenever desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and, and sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grows, it brings forth death in your life. And so what, what James is reiterating that Paul is, is, is said is that, that the desire, the, the temptuous desire in your life that motivate you toward your sin they always start within us, and they are never God's fault. Because no matter how terrible your circumstances are, the desire always starts within you. And that's why just a few verses before this in verse 13 of James, um, it says this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What God will do in your life sometimes is he will allow, allow trials to come in. He will even... Um, uh, bring about tests at points to grow your faith. While on the other hand, what Satan, our enemy, will do is he will, he will tempt you in sin to destroy your faith. And there's a difference. He's trying to destroy you. That's what, that's what your enemy ultimately wants to do. And so when we look at this command here, 
to flee. It's so important when it comes to our youthful passions for us to learn to flee them. When you read the scriptures, it says in different places for believers, you know, it says, hey, like you should stand strong, you should fight, you should uh, gird up your loins, and there's commands like that. But anytime youthful passions come up, sexual temptation comes up, the command from the scriptures is to flee and not to fight. Do you know that? It's to flee and not to fight. I think of in the Old Testament with uh, King David, you know, when he posted up on that roof and he placed himself in this vulnerable position uh, to be tempted and, and sees Bathsheba across the way taking a bath. Or I think of the, uh, in the Old Testament, the OG desperate housewife, you know, uh, Potiphar's wife. When, when she was uh, chasing after Joseph and, and, and like she was trying to sexually assault Joseph. And so um, what happens is that uh, Potiphar's wife start, looks at Joseph and she's like, hey, you looking good, take me to bed. And, and, and she grabs onto his coat and, 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 and Joseph doesn't stay and struggle and fight. No, Joseph's like, lady, you can keep the coat. And he runs, like he was running, right, like for his gun. He takes off. He doesn't stand and fight, but instead he flees from that youthful passion. And, and I really like what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when it comes to uh, desire, sinful desire inside of us. He says this, the flesh burns in this moment and isn't in flame. In this moment, God is quite unreal to us. And Satan here, he doesn't fill us with hatred of God, but he fills us with the forgetfulness of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches that in times of temptation to our flesh, there is one command, flee. Flee. Whatever youthful passion you have inside of you, whenever it starts to well up, you should flee. You should flee. If there's any bait in the water, you should get out of the water. You have to remove what yourself or the trigger in your life, whichever one you can. So for, practically, for some of us, that means that, that, you know, maybe you shouldn't go on a date by yourself with your boyfriend or girlfriend because it triggers a certain desire. Or, or, or maybe for, for, for some of you, um, you need to lock down your cell phone or computer or block certain sites because you know when you open that thing up, it, it, it tempts you and it's a trigger to desire. Some of you this morning, you might want to have a youthful passion of, of power and control, and you want to control people and, and, and use them instead of love them. And so maybe there's someone in your life who, who spurs you into that when you're around them. Maybe you need to remove the trigger in your life and flee from your youthful passion this morning. Whatever it is, whatever your youthful passion is, whatever your trigger is, you have to remove it and run from it. So church, what is, what is that youthful passion in your life right now this morning? You need to run from it. You need to flee it. You don't need to fight it. And so we're not going to fight this thing. We're going to learn to flee them. Anything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus, we're going we're to run away from, from those things. And as we, as we take that one thing off, we're, we're going to put on a, another thing. Paul tells us we're going to put on a, another thing, and that involves point 1B. We're going to pursue. We're going to pursue the Lord Jesus. We're going to pursue from a pure heart. 22b, it says this, pursue, say pursue, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have you ever seen those, uh, have you ever seen those drug sniffing dogs on TV before, right, like the 
the scene that you get is somebody somebody's at the airport and they you know they drop off their baggage and it goes down a conveyor belt and and it goes off to this room where you can't see but in that room there's a police officer there with his drug dog and and what they're doing is you know the police officer puts these cute little booties on the on the uh, dog so it doesn't hurt his feet on the conveyor belt and he's going around these bags and and he's pursuing something right he's he's sniffing around he's looking around and then all of a sudden he comes to the red bag and and the police officer comes up and he opens up the red bag and there's a I don't know cocaine or something in there right that that, uh, that that that's in there the drug dog points it out right because he's on this pursuit he's doing what he's been he's been trained to do has anybody seen that I'm weird, I'm alone, okay, all right. Um, so drug dogs, in their pursuit, man, they use the tools, first off, that they have on them, right? They, they use their sense of smell, which is 100,000 times greater than your sense of smell, by the way. But they use this tool that they have. And then beyond that, they've been training with their master, right? They've been living with their master, and their desire is to please their master. And so all of these things make them an exceptional combination and incredibly useful in their pursuit. And it's the same for us here. Desire is the key motivator. It's the key motivator not just in youthful passion, but also in your pursuit of the Lord Jesus. Because it's a determination and commitment to a relentless excellence as you chase after the Lord and pursue. And I love that pursue in the text, it starts with righteousness. Look at what it says there. It starts with righteousness. That's so cool. Because Paul, the first thing he does out the gate here is he appeals to our identity. He appeals to our identity. He said this starts with your righteousness, your identity, who you are in Christ. Your righteousness. This is your identity. The very righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of Jesus that was imputed to you on the cross. That's what's going to help you pursue your righteousness. And and then from that identity as you pursue, just moving through the text, your faith is going to grow. Your faith, that's that's trust in God. That's trust in in, in who God says he is and the things that God said he would do. Your faith is going to grow. And, and, And from that, it not only changes the way that you start to see God, but it changes the way you start to see people and you start to love other people around you. And it also brings peace into your life. All of these things, the, the, the righteousness, the faith, the love, the peace, they are all part of God's great grace in your life. And so Galatians 5, as I said earlier, this, this is something, church, that the Holy Spirit does inside of you from the moment that you called that you called on the Lord from a pure heart. That's when it started. That's when it began inside of you. And so I, I just wonder this morning who the drug dog in your life would point to your pursuing. Who would it say that you're pursuing this morning? And we're, we're still on point one. We're almost out of it. But we're still looking at this from a heart level. We're going to pursue from a, we're going to flee youthful passions. We're going to pursue from a pure heart. And lastly, we're going to 1C, avoid Quarrels. Two and three are much shorter than this, but hang with me. Avoid quarrels. Verse 23. Have nothing. Say nothing. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Have you ever met somebody who likes to fight just for the sake of fighting? There are some people that you can have a conversation with that you can openly debate and dialogue and talk from different perspectives all without 
getting angry or upset or feel violated. There are people that, that you can do that with. But then there are some people, man, who they just, they just like to argue out of habit, you know. And, and they cause conflict over the most trivial things, right? It's like they, there are so many hills of perspective that they are willing to just die on. And, and it's almost like when you talk with them, it's like their daily mantra is like, I object. Like, that, that, like that's how I see these, these kind of people because it's never their fault. It's always someone else's fault. There's always someone else to blame in their life. And so church, that's, that's what quarreling is. It's fighting just for the sake of fighting. And, and according to Paul here, running your mouth is just as dangerous as sexual sin, as any other youthful passion. Both of them are, are, are youthful passions that, that are dishonorable to the Lord Jesus. And, and some people, I'm telling you, if this is you, okay, if this is you, I can't think of anybody that this might be, it's probably you, okay? And if this is you, that people are going to bait you just because they know you like to argue. And it's like, it's like cheese on a mousetrap, right? Paul is telling Timothy, he's like, hey man, you've seen this, you've watched this happen with uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, as Cody talked about last week. You see this going on and, and, and have nothing to do with these dumb, distracting fights because all it does is breed quarrels. And what happens is you begin to engage with those kind of conversations. What it's going to do is it's going to make you distracted and it makes you useless to the master of the house. Last week, uh, Pastor Cody in verse 16 of the text said the same thing. Earlier on in chapter 1 of Timothy, it said the same thing. This was a big, big issue inside of the church at Ephesus. It was like everyone was so stuck. The Christians there, they were stuck. Certain ones were stuck on these erratic preferences. And it was causing division inside of the church and false teaching. Now, I know that's hard to believe, right, that church people got hung up on preference, right? But it happened um, then, and, and, it, and it happens now, too. And so, what the, what the Scriptures have to offer in terms of our perspective on preference, I think, comes well in at a, 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 a case study from Jesus in Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says this, I'll just read it real fast to you. Here's a perspective on preference. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto. But instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. This is what Jesus did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the guttural cry of rest, church. It's benchmark number two for us, which is part of our 10 core values, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus. Everything else, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary to the gospel. Because the gospel is the main focus. Jesus is the main focus. It's why when we sing songs here, who are they too for and about? Jesus, Right? Whenever someone gets up here to preach, whoever it is, it always comes back to the hero of the story, why we're here, Jesus. That's what it's about. 
That's, that's the, the, the perspective I want you to con- consider this morning. And, and so I just want to ask you this question. Okay, if this is you, if you're in a foolish fight, a dumb fight right now, I just want to ask you, is your personal preference to be right worth burning the gospel bridge that's between you and that person? Is your preference to be right worth burning the gospel bridge that may be between you? If you want to be useful to God in ministry, you need to look in. We're, we're going to flee our youthful passions and pursue in our righteousness. We're going to pursue from a pure heart. We're going to avoid foolish quarrels so we're not distracted from the real mission, the real task at hand. But, but, let me put this caveat in here. What do you do when you find yourself in, in a conversation that's worth correcting? Not every conversation is that conversation, but they, they do happen from time to time. So what do we what do, we do as, as the church whenever... Um, biblical error or heresy or false teaching come up um, or, or when a brother or sister needs to be redirected um, to, to, the, to the word of God whenever they mess up do we, just, do we just look the other way and say hey it's cool Jesus loves everybody no 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 no. we must, we must hold and maintain the standard according to the word of God and that's what, that's what Paul tells Timothy to do here, verse 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, say kind, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. This is point two. It's a lot shorter. Do you want to be useful to God in ministry? If so, you need to learn to correct with kindness. You need to learn to correct with kindness. Paul's telling us, he's saying, hey, look, it's okay to correct, and you should correct whenever these kind of things happen, but you have to be kind and gentle in your approach, no matter who you're talking to here. No matter who you're talking to, you have to be kind and gentle in your approach of what, of what you're saying. Remember early on uh, in, in 2 Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power and love and self-control. The, the, the Gentleness here isn't timidity, but it, it, it's strength under control. Are you under control in, in your correction? And so I want to point out this isn't a command for everyone, but look at the text, verse 24. It's a command for the Lord's servant. And who is that church? That's any leader, any vessel that wants to be useful to God in ministry. The Lord's servant. And this is why, again, back to the text, this is why it's so important that you as a useful utensil are able to teach. Able to teach is what it says. Here's why. Whenever someone says something, you take what they say and you measure it up against the word of God. So in order to do that, you need to be able to hear what they're saying and also you need to know the word of God so you can understand if those two things don't mess up or match up or mesh together. And, and so it offers an opportunity for correction in that moment. You need to be able to teach. You need to know, know your word. And, and I find it interesting that at the end of verse 24, it says to offer correction in this way by patiently enduring evil. By patiently enduring evil. I think this is so interesting. And if, if you didn't pick up on this, you should. Um, sometimes in the church, the sheep bite, you know. Sheep will bite each other, one another. And, and you know, we're the sheep, the church. And, and, and so when that happens, a lot of times whenever we're bit, bitten, um, 
it, it causes a tension between us and this other person. It, it creates this tension, this space. It, it causes us to want to draw away from them. Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll let us be embittered toward um, those, those people to draw back from them. And one commentator on this said that patiently enduring evil means this, to bear evil without resentment or bitterness. To, 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 bear, to patiently in, endure this, that, that's, the, that's the command here. And then beyond insiders of the church, you better believe when you start to share your faith with outsiders, they're going to insult you. Like, like you should expect that. Because when they find out uh, who you're associated with, look, someone in this line of work, someone is always going to be upset with the decisions that you make. That's just the way it is. Whether it's inside or, or, or outside, sheep will bite you, lost people will insult you, yet out of your own security in Christ and love for God's people, you can endure evil patiently. And so church, when, when you correct, man, does it lead, lead with kindness or, or in the past has it, has it turned into more quarrels? Last verse, final point. As we look in to, to be clean, to be holy, to be set apart, we're fleeing, right? We're pursuing, we're avoiding, we're correcting with kindness because of our, our identity and our security in Christ's righteousness. As, as we do these things, lastly, number point three, we must trust. We must trust in two things. We must trust in, in God to use us in the way that he sees fit. And two, we must trust in God's power to save people. Last, verse, last two verses, point B of 25. Uh, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I got to tell you, man, I think the posture of, of kindness and gentleness is such a high value asset in the kingdom of God. Such a high value asset. Like it's a strategic weapon, uh, spiritual weapon. Gentleness and, 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 and kindness. And, 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 and who knows, your gentleness and your kindness, it may pave a path for someone to meet Jesus, just based on how you act or, or how you respond. And, and so I got to remind you lastly, that neighbor, that co-worker, that particular member of your family, that crazy kid, they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy, but here's what they may be. They may be a prisoner of Satan who's been, who's been captured to do his will. When we read the phrase there, come to their senses, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. That's the language of sober up. Because if, if, if they don't know Jesus, what, what's happening is they're drunk on a satanic influence. And, and, and so because your enemy hates the things of God, the person that they are either possessing, oppressing, or influence, it's likely, it's highly likely that they will also hate you too because ultimately they're under the influence of the one who hates Jesus the most. And so our job, church, is not to return blow for blow, but our job is to see them as captives in this unseen war. And so whenever that, that unholy spirit that lives over them 
senses the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, you better believe that the demonic spirit is going to try to use them to fight you. Just expect it. So we don't need to execute the prisoners, right? We need to set them free. We need to help set them free. And so we can do that in our approach with gentleness and, and correcting with kindness. It's why we trust the Lord to say. It's why we trust a verse like Ephesians 6.12 that says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are not the enemy. Another Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church, Christian church, is not the enemy. The lost are not your enemy. And I love this because at verse 25, at the end, it says that ultimately it's God who leads them to the truth and not you and not me. It's only God who can construct a heart change at a heart level. And he's the one that has the track record of setting the captive free, of granting freedom to them. But, 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 it might be your kindness that becomes the catalyst that God uses to bring them to a knowledge of the truth, to grant them repentance, and who knows, God may perhaps save them. And he might, he might just use a useful vessel like you to pave the path. Church, do, do you want to be useful to God, to the kingdom of heaven this morning?